0: Our scripture reading this Sunday is Luke chapter 9, verses 21 to 27, and that's found on page 709 in your P-Bible. That's Luke chapter 9, verses 21 to 27. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for you to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit your very self? If any of you are ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, Grandview. My name is Claudia, and I'll be sharing scripture with you today. Thank you, Farsan. Okay, so let's call my slides, please. So today's um, title is, Is It Going to Hurt? And um, I don't know how do you relate to pain, but uh, for those who are familiar with the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram 7, and according to that, I run away from pain at all cost possible. And just recently had my fourth shot. I work with seniors, so as I was approaching that little booth, I was like, Is it going to hurt? So I, I don't know how you relate to, to pain, but... Um, I often try to, to avoid it, and thank goodness we are in the Western world where we have lots of knowledge on pain management. We have lots of meds um, to manage pain. I don't know how many of you take those, um, but I do if I can. Okay, so let's go to the next slide. Today was asked to preach on discipleship, and discipleship is a very close subject to my heart. So um, I'm just curious to find out um, when you, based on your experience or understanding, what word or words come to mind when you hear discipleship? You can just tell them out loud. What word or words come to mind when you hear discipleship? Love, Love okay. What is that? follow okay steadfast, steadfast. other words rules. rules okay rules ah huh? obedience. obedience okay Learn. learning discipline. which one discipline, discipline. right apprenticeship, apprenticeship. Trust, mentorship, okay, lots of words. It is a very rich concept, discipleship. Okay, so today we are continuing on this series of that person has been with Jesus. So what I wanna present is that one way to know a person has been with Jesus is the way they deal with pain and the day they deal with power and power uh, as important parts of our discipleship so let's go to the next slide so I'm going to introduce you to um, my experience of discipleship and then later on my understanding so you can understand how I'm entering the passage that we are going to study today so my initial approach to discipleship had a little bit of a continuum so there was this evangelism, an evangelist that would come and speak to somebody who's not a follower of Jesus, about Jesus, and then there would be some kind of a revelation, that lightening, rather the person understands something about God, in the words of Dr. Francis Collins, who is um, who wrote the book Science, the Language of God, he describes that sense of conversion or, or revelation as understanding that he is accountable to other than himself. So I, I like that description of Dr. Collins of his conversion, realizing that he's accountable to other than himself. And then a, a discipleship proce- process would start, meaning there would be a little bit of a cycle of believing. So you you believe something about Jesus, you agree, about some concepts on Jesus, and then you become a better person, and then once you have um, done some actions to show that you are serious about Jesus, then you belong to a church, a small group. So that was my former understanding of discipleship, and there was this sense of a wall that somebody had to go over and that wall could be either an expectation of an intellectual agreement. You have to believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation and for some people that's a very tall wall to climb. And there were people who were in and people who were outside that wall. And then the discipleship process would be a lot about a knowledge transfer, either through teaching scripture or teaching you the disciplines. So it was a lot very head-based, very knowledge-based. After some years of learning myself I've moved more towards this side of how I'm approaching discipleship and it is more a cycle of where the evangel the where, where the gospel and that's the evangelist at the top I think we receive the gospel constantly and constantly we are met with God's revelation a deeper revelation a new revelation and then we are discipled by that and we continue in this cycle So it's not that before you're not a disciple of Jesus and then something happens and then you become a disciple of Jesus and then you just coast until Jesus comes back and takes you somehow. So it's it's more to me a cycle where it's a cycle of continual exposure to the gospel in a way that creates a deeper revelation of Christ in our lives and then that moves us to following Christ this discipleship so it's this cycle so it's more around the Celtic way of evangelism that talks about belonging first so we welcome people first into our family whether this is this church a home group your circle of friends your own family you welcome first people then once they receive that welcome that generous welcome that we talk about here at Grandview and then often people believe, I can see now that Jesus truly is love rather than a judge because he have welcomed me. So then people believe and then they become, they grow. So this is more the way that I see discipleship now. We're all together in this boat. Sometimes we got off the boat and we drown and then Jesus brings us back to the boat and then we have this deeper revelation of Christ and then we continue following him. So this is a this is now my understanding more on your right of the process of discipleship. Can we go to the next slide? Thank you. And then this is, uh, this is the way I try to keep my discipleship intentional. So it has the three loves. The upward, some of you might be very familiar if you've attended some kind of Bible school. This is old news for you, but for some of you haven't. So it's these three loves that Jesus lived by. The upward love the love towards God, then the love into community, and then the love out in the world. So, The upward love of Jesus, we understand that he was deeply connected with the Father. On that picture on the top right, which is Andrei Rublev's presentation of the Holy Trinity, we understand that Jesus was deeply connected to the Father and he was part of this community of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So this deep connection with God. And then he entered into community, he invested his life with those who God had given him as his spiritual family. So that's the life in community. And then he loved the world. He entered into the world, into the pain of the world. And that's why the cross is so central as this organizing factor, as that backbone of our discipleship. The cross is at the center. It organizes everything in our discipleship. And that's not an easy thing to come ag- to come to accept. And then um, I those of you who are familiar with Lectio 365, which is an application on your phone that you listen to daily, um, they've suggested this organization of these uh, practices of discipleship. Some of you have mentioned disciplines. So um, to, to cultivate our relationship with God would be the practices of prayer and creativity. And Jake has spoken about prayer beautifully. And then to cultivate and keep our intentionality of our investment in community would be the practice of hospitality and justice. And the reason I present this is because it helps me to continue to be intentional about my discipleship. For example, this side of the, the in part of my community now has been affected by COVID. Before COVID, I used to host a Bible study, a home group, and that's that was the, my community. So if you were to ask me who's your community at Grandview, I would, say, I would say my home group because I see them beyond Sundays and I see them beyond Wednesdays as well. But because I got a full-time job uh, connected to COVID, I didn't have the, mar- the margin to continue to host this Bible study. So now I'm working. I have to be working on this community. So I'm, I'm still figuring out how do I continue to be in my discipleship, investing in community. So my question mark now is, is my community my work? Because now I have a full-time job where I do pastoral care, and are those people, are the the people I spend eight hours a day with, are they now my community? Or should I continue to figure out a way to continue my community at Grandview on a weekly basis? So this is something I'm exploring myself. How do I continue to practice hospitality and justice? And then the, 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 the outward part, that's the, the world, the love of the world, through mission and learning. And I don't know what mission conjures to you in your mind, but to me it's a posture of outreaching, outreaching to the other, reaching out to the other, and learning. And it takes a lot of learning for us to, um, to reach out, and I think Grandview does that very well. So many of you are so deeply aware of the issues of the world, um, some issues would be the COVID issues, issues of climate change and the opioid crisis, just our, our recent elections. There's lots of issues in our world and how are we engaging with those out of God's love? How do we enter in that pain? And I think Grandview is not afraid of entering in that pain, um, which has been partly one of the things that has been so inspiring for me to be part of this church. Okay, so that's, that's my framework. That's how I'm entering this passage. That's how I'm entering this passage. First, with an understanding of discipleship that was very head knowledge-based, transfer of knowledge, and, but now has moved to um, a lo- an obedience. It's more about obedience to Jesus than knowing Jesus. Obedience over just knowledge. And then this idea of organizing our three loves to, to God like Jesus did. Okay, next slide, please. So now let's finally enter into this passage, this big introduction. Okay, so in Luke 9, we read, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Who likes that verse? It's not the 316, right? It's not the 316, yeah. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me or for my sake will save it. And I think that every generation and every culture and every person has to grapple with the scandal of the cross. Do you find sometimes that the the cross is a scandal and at the same time a beautiful mystery? It's a scandal and a mystery, a beautiful, powerful mystery at the same time. So what was the cross then? When Jesus is talking about picking up your cross, what did those hearing him had in mind? What was the cross? It was the Roman way of execution, right? And it was designed to be very painful and very disgraceful and very shameful. So the concept of a cross was something that you run away from. It's not something that you go pick it up. Right? You, you run away from it. You don't go to pick it up. And Jesus is telling in this chapter, chapter nine, that he will be dead, that he will be, dis- that he will be rejected. And Jesus is saying that in order for him to follow me, you need to do what I'm gonna do. So that's not an attractive call from a teacher, is it? Right, if you were, if you were to come here and turn in sense, in order to have me as a pastor, you need to die. Right? I don't think many of us would have signed up for that. So Jesus' cross, Jesus cross was the deepest form of physical and, and psychological psychological suffering. It's on the cross what happened on the cross? All the evils of the world came onto him. What were some of those evils? Every possible evil of the world came onto Jesus. What were those evils? Betrayal, torture, institutional injustice, abandonment from his friends. Even abandonment from his father when he cries out, why have you forsaken me? And then this deep, deep loneliness and shame hanging naked on the cross. So all these evils, all these things is what the cross represented. And Jesus is saying, take it up. Take it up daily in order to follow me. Does that sound masochistic? What, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? What did the disciples do with that? Right, let's think of how the disciples approach this, and why do you think Jesus had to say this? In Luke 9, we see that the apostles are sent in 12. They're, they're sent to do some mission, to do some healing, and they come with lots of miracles. And then Jesus feeds the, the, the 5,000, and then what else happens? And then Peter declares that he's the Messiah, So if they were in in municipal elections, what do you think would be the expectations of a candidate like Jesus? He's getting in. I mean, he's totally getting in. So this means he's saying to be the Messiah. So obviously we're gonna get some good government position, right? So then what Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You're not being promised a scepter of of a throne. The way I'm gonna do this is through a cross, by the way. Right, So it's, I think Jesus is clarifi- clarifying the expectations of these people who were following him, and he was so powerful in every possible way. So Jesus is saying, no, no, wait. This is not, you're not inheriting a scepter. Is that how you say it in English? Do you understand the word? I'm ESL, so I'm going to pull out that card every time I can. <laughs> so I'm not promising you a scepter. I'm promising you a cross. Right? So um, that's the the picture there, it's Jesus being lifted up. What's the other picture you see there? Do you recognize that Old Testament reference? Who knows who's an Old Testament expert? Curtis, what do you see? Okay, well the snakes are killing all the other Israelites. What did Jesus do, What what did God do? Right, so the very thing that would scare them and hurt them was the thing that would heal them. How's that? Those who go to your psychologist and go to exposure therapy and they say, well, I'm afraid of heights, well, we're going to try you going to an elevator. And then you're like, oh, we'll see if that's going to work. Right, so the very thing that scared you the most, that hurt you the most, is the thing that's going to become your liberation and your healing. So I want to suggest that what Jesus means by taking up the cross is to accept, to face your sufferings honestly and forthrightly with the hope of realignment to God so that you can experience the fullness of Christ. That's what I'm going to suggest here. So I'm going to talk of an example. What kind of sufferings and how do we identify which one is our cross? Because Jesus does talk about picking up your cross, not the cross of your friend. But so every cross is deeply personal. For example, not long ago, I was chatting, I'm a chaplain, so I was chatting with someone who got laid off from her work. And this was a deeply shameful experience for this person. And this person is a follower of Jesus. So I was saying, could this be a version of the cross for you? She was so ashamed and the way to i see the cross is when you are hanging ashamed and everybody seems to see you have you ever been laid off no yeah you have to go into your desk you pick up your box and you start collecting your stuff and that's a shameful walk if other people see you right so can that be one way of understanding the cross so i suggested to her maybe this is a time to hang in there don't re- don't resist it just hang in there and wait for God's vindication to come your way. Whether that was something that God gifted me that time for her or not, we shall see. But that's one way to see the cross, to accept and conf- confront your sufferings. Pick it up. That that is that seems to be hurtful for you, you pick it up. You face it head first. Now, I, I do offer a caution here because I come from a long tradition of Christians and lots of abuse has been used under the name of the cross right if you have an abusive husband sometimes you go to a minister and says well your husband is your cross and um, then you end up in the hospital a few times so i understand that the concept of suffering in the cross has been misused and abused so i'm i'm putting that caution there so in that case that particular woman is losing her life but not to christ but to an abuser And Christ came to liberate those who are oppressed. So let's put that caution very clearly there about how we understand the cross and suffering. So, what is the cross in this case? The cross is the altar. I love this one. Jesus says, deny yourselves. Who likes that? Who likes diets, for example? I tell Erin that if I was a better Christian, I would be vegetarian like her. I, I, I hate um, depriving myself, denying myself from meat, right? I cannot deny myself. So what does it mean to deny yourself? It means to put the, on the altar your capacity to make your choices, to let someone else be in control. What are some alternative language to deny yourself? Let somebody else put the agenda, set the agenda. Let someone else be on the driver's seat let someone else have control. That's what it means to deny yourself. So the cross is the altar where we put our precious will. How do we define will? The will is that cognitive process by which we decide on and commit to a particular course of action. That's our will. It's that cognitive process by which we use we decide on and commit to a particular course of action so when we put our will on the cross like jesus said what did he say in gethsemane if it is possible let this cup pass but not my will but yours be done Right, so the cross is that place, that painful place, that place where we enter and we pick up our suffering and we face our suffering in the face and we let that purify us and realign us to the will of God. So Jesus is saying, if I, as a teacher, have to do this and I'm completely innocent, what do you expect about you? There's, Jesus says later in Luke, or earlier in Luke, there's no... the the student is not bigger than the teacher. What makes you think that if I, the teacher, need to go through the cross, you can can overpass it? Right, so the cross is the central, crucial aspect of our life that yes, it's painful. Is it gonna hurt? Yes, it's gonna hurt our ego a lot, a lot. But why, why, why does it, why is it Jesus calling us to this pain? Who likes to be called to pain? A deep deep tissue massage massage is painful, but then there's something beneficial afterwards, right? When you go to a chiropractor and they do something that is painful, but then it's realigned and then you walk better. So I think that's that kind of pain, that pain that regenerates, that pain that makes you better. And the great thing is that that suffering is not the end of the story, right? The cross is not the end of the story but it is the resurrection and the liberation is the end of the story. So the cross is just the passage. And I also like um, how this, this particular word, pick it up. Right, I think some of you have been, uh, have been, ex- have been around people who literally have ex- experienced hell in their lives, either through abuse, through trauma, through difficult experiences. Sometimes I hear people in my work that have gone through hell. They have gone through hell. And what's worse than going to hell? What's worse than having a a horrible illness? Is to be bitter and to have a horrible illness, right? So what does the cross do? What does Christ invite us to do? Pick it up, meaning bring it upward. Like Jesus did, he was raised up on the cross. He was raised up in a direction, in a posture that was bringing things upward. Because there is always a way to go deeper in hell. Right? You have a whole world experience, and on top of being in a sad experience, you are also bitter and angry at everybody. Then that makes it even worse for you. The cross is that capacity to think of a possibility to transform pain. Even that possibility. It's not, it's not possible without Christ in our lives. Let's continue. For whoever wants to save their lives will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me, for my sake, will save it. So what else have you seen people losing their lives over? Jesus says, losing their lives for me. What other things people lose their lives over around you? What have you seen people losing their lives over? political agendas. Thomas Aquinas said that there's four replacements of God. Honor, power, pleasure, and wealth. And we will, lose as humans, we will lose our lives anyways. So the question is, what are you losing your life over? Over honor, how do we measure honor now in our culture? Facebook likes, Twitter followers, how else do we, uh, that we measure honor? People who watch your videos. How many people watch your TikTok videos? That's honor. Sometimes we lose our lives over that. How do we measure ple- uh, pleasure? wealth? those are easy to measure. So we're going to lose our lives anyway. Jesus is saying, if you lose your life for my sake, you will save it. It's going to come back to you. And we see how Jesus has lost his life on the cross and how much, fruit that has brought. Can we go to the next slide please? Okay, I love shoes so I have to put a shoes slide on all my presentations. Okay, so what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very lives, their very self. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the son of man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So what, what do you think people had in mind? Who do you think people had in mind when Jesus says, if you gain the whole world? Who do you think they had in mind? I don't know. Who do you think you would have in mind? I, I would have Justin Bieber in mind. Who else, who else do you feel has gained the world in your mind or in your circles? Hmm? Denzel Washington and an actor, yeah, he's won the whole world, right? So in Jesus' time, Caesar Augustus was the one who had one of the many who had won the whole world, right? He had just compare those shoes. What do they do what do they convey to you? Jesus versus Caesar Augustus. Right? Their sense of power and supremacy, right? Caesar Augustus endless range of movement pleasure any pleasure you bring it a snap of his fingers any pleasure i want to go vacation over here over there you go to vacation how about our messiah what was his range of action how long did he fa- how long did he travel did he move far what was his range not very much right so Jesus is saying, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world? So maybe the disciples had this thing about Jesus. He's gonna gain the whole world. He's gonna be bigger than Caesar Augustus. And all of us, what's gonna be about us? Then we're gonna be secretaries of such and the secretary of this other one. Judas is gonna be the secretary of finances. This is it, right? But Jesus is saying, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? How do you see that? I see that in teenagers. I have a teenage um, niece, and I'm always trying to remind her, don't lose yourself trying to belong to this this group of girls. Sometimes I see teenagers bending backwards to please and to belong, and that's a fair longing of us, right? We want to belong. That's how God made us. God made us with this longing for community. So whether you are two years old, or you're 16, or you're 92, you still want to belong, right? But don't lose your life over that. Don't lose your life over that. Okay, and then I love that Jesus here also mentions whoever is ashamed of me and my words. So, how do you think these words came across to people? Right? He says, or Augustus is about power and wealth and honor and free range of everything. How did Jesus' words come across? Not very attractive, right? So some disciples would say, yeah, we're called to the cross. That's our teacher's thing. Right? And, and here we are too. How, who has issues when, when people say, do you really believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? How about those people who have never heard about Jesus? Do you really believe that? So you're trying to say, yeah, well... Right? So we, we have reasons to sometimes be ashamed of what Jesus is calling us or what he's talking about, of who he's saying he is. But then Jesus talks about glory. So in other words, Jesus is saying the cross and the suffering that I'm asking you to pick up is not the end of the story. It's just one part of the story. And those who have, just ask people who are persecuted in the persecuted church. Right, I remember this this. Um, volunteer of mine. He was a Filipino guy, and he became a follower of Jesus in Saudi Arabia. He went to work there. He was not a follower of Jesus, and in Saudi Arabia, he became one, and then he was persecuted, and he was being lashed, right, and he says, Claudia, when I was being beaten up on the 41st lash, I experienced such deep pain, but also such profound joy of being worthy of being with Jesus in his sufferings. So this calling of Jesus has a lot of pain, but it also has a deep sense of meaning because there's something else beyond the pain. And that's what the cross allows us to imagine the possibility that you can transform pain. Because as someone said, pain that is not transformed is transferred. Pain that is not transformed, it's transferred. So what is Jesus is inviting you? Is inviting you to pick up your cross. That, that scares you, that threatens you, that you want to run away from, pick it up. Face it. And in an upward direction with some sense of ethical orientation. In your own strength? Probably not. Right? That's why we have Christ who went ahead of us so he can walk with us in this. Okay, let's go to our next slide. Okay, we're going to spend a minute of silence. Grandview crowds are very used to silence, so I don't have to explain what silence is. And so we're going to spend a minute, and we're going to think of Jesus' words. And in the threatening process or situation you may be in now, which is one, which one is your cross, and how can you take it up? And by that, I mean face it honestly and forthrightly. So we'll spend a minute on that question. Okay, so have you ever met someone who has faced their pain honestly and forthrightly? I think most of us have. I have too, during the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, some of the listenings. I was listening to this gentleman and the horrible abuses he had endured in residential school and the alcohol abuse that that he had run to, to cope with the pain. And after he said, at some point when I hit rock bottom, I thought, I can just stay here or come up. And he decided to come up with the help of Christ. So when I was in his presence, in the presence of so much told pain and this capacity to somehow face it straight and transform it into something positive, I was in the presence of power. That was power to me. That was power. I also heard this one lady, part of my work, who has lived with bipolar disorder for 40 years. And she said how difficult it has been and how isolating. And then, when, and then she, she asked me, can you ask me if I see this as a, some kind of a gift of sorts? I was interviewing her. So I asked her, has this been some kind of a gift of sorts? And she said, it has. It has enabled me to deeper empathy, compassion, and to discover Christ in ways I would have never discovered him before. So this is the power of the cross, friends. It's not the power to run away and to do everything possible to run away, like a good Enneagram 7, but to face it, to face it and go in it And discover that Christ has that incredible and supernatural capacity to transform pain instead of transferring it. And discover the transformation it it brings onto us and onto others. We speak of mutual transformation here at Grandview. Well, it has to go through pain. Facing our own pain and not running away from it. With the hope of resurrection. With the hope of God's vindication. Not my own vindication. There may be times where I need to hang on the cross naked unexposed. But I don't get off. I could, but I I don't have to. I can wait for Christ to come and vindicate, vindicate me. Let's bow down our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this incredible and powerful mystery of the cross that we still need to take every day to understand it. Holy Spirit, guide us. Show us which one is our cross and give us the strength and the courage to pick it up and to walk with you and behind you, Jesus. And give us the strength to hang on the cross, lift it up, facing you and waiting for your vindication. And help us see your glory as well. And help us experience the power of liberation that comes through your cross. In Jesus' name, amen. So may God enable you daily to bear your sufferings nobly. Facing what threatens you honestly and forthrightly. Because that is transformative for you and for those around you. Amen. I expecting that. <laughs>